Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and every week we talk about trending topics in the wine world. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We're your hosts, Mark and Kim. Every week, uh, we get together remotely still and talk about some of our favorite trending topics from the wine world just to keep it fresh and keep it interesting. And how are you doing this week, Mark? Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Kim. It's good to be here talking wine with you. I'm excited for today's topics and hear what you found so we can discuss with our listeners. Absolutely. We always love to bring you those things that interest us in the wine world. And we welcome your comments and questions so that we can make it a little bit more, are they personal to you? But what you want to learn about is what we want to talk to you about. So what's first today, Kim? So our first article comes from uh, a website that we love to explore called vinepair.com. And because we are getting into some warmer weather, we wanted to talk a little bit about a seasonal wine, sort of, rosé. We talk about rosé a lot and we drink it all year long, but it is the kind of wine that people really do associate with warmer weather, you know, sitting out on your back deck or your patio, having a nice refreshing glass of rosé. So we want to uh, bring up what is trending and current and maybe what people will be drinking this summer when it comes to their glass of pink wine. Yeah, it's interesting you said that, Kim. I was thinking around here, it's like a spring. The, the rosés, the new vintages of rosés hit the shelf. And I'm wondering in parts of the world or the country where it's just warm all year round, is it more popular year round than it is here? Well, it does seem to be. You know, here, like you said. Yeah, and some of those places, especially where they produce a lot of rosé, that it's not a seasonal thing. You know, in southern France, they drink it all the time. It's not like, hey, you know, now it's May or June or July. Let's break out the rosé. Yeah, So at least I know for those production places. But yeah, I've never looked into places like, I don't know. California, Florida, even in your own country, do they drink it more year round than other parts? Yeah. And they don't see any studies like that. So, but we, we talked many times in the past about rosé, how it's a year round. It goes with food year round, Thanksgiving foods. So this article, uh, I believe it was the 10 most popular rosés. It must be in the world, correct? Because fine pear. Yeah, styles. So wine, rosé styles, but also particular brands uh, that are that are the tops when it comes to most popular. And over the last couple of weeks, we have done a couple of articles about popularity of wines, you know, certain wine brands that are global and super popular all over the world based not just on, you know, how much is selling, but how are those brands perceived and, you know, the knowledge level that consumers have about those. And it's a little bit different, I feel like, with rosé because there's no, you know, there are a couple of brands that are pretty well known, but it's more a category in and of itself. And I think what we're seeing now a little bit is this breakdown within the category of some different styles. So we see this a little bit with Chardonnay where we've got, you know, on one end of the spectrum, we have the buttery, toasty, creamy style of Chardonnay. And on the other side, we have this more vibrant, un-oak, lighter, crisper style. And and I really think that we're starting to see that with styles of rosé as well. 
So more and more away from the traditional dry rosés, you're saying? Or? Well, more like that there are two camps, I guess. You know, on one side, you've got the crisp, dry, really light, more traditional Provencal style of rosé. Whereas on the other side, you have this richer, fruitier, hearkening back more to California style of rosé. And we see this a lot out of South America, too. I know I have some favorites that are rosés that are made from the Malbec grapes that are like really vibrant pink and dark and a little fruitier, not necessarily sweet, but are very, very different from those light salmon colored, almost white wines from those, uh, those places in Provence. Yeah. And there's two things you mentioned, Kim, I, I wanted to hit on with you was the brand thing. A lot of these, and I'll, when we get to them, I'll have you say them because they're all French mostly. So uh, listeners won't be insulted by my pronunciation, but uh, there were no real brands that stuck out like none of the big guys stood out to me these seem like not small companies but individual brands instead of corporations mm-hmm. to me. and then uh, the other thing you were talking about was when people to me when they buy a rosé or look at a rosé it's not looking for a grape usually it's like rosé it says rosé and, and, and they're looking by color maybe but they're not really associating looking for a Montepulciano, looking for a Pinot Noir Rosé or something like that. So yeah, I would just completely agree with that. a couple things I wanted that. to ask you. And then when we're done, I want to ask you, like personally, what you look for in Rosé. I know you started mentioning, but I had a couple of questions about that. So quickly also, Kim, I just wanted to say they did mention a stat that in 2016, 151 million bottle sales in, in uh Rosé. And then so far this year, it's up to 576 million. So it's up 281%. So the rosé trend is still increasing every year, which we've been talking about for the longest amount of time. So it was highlighted in, in this article. Yeah, 281% increase over the la- in the last four years for rosé sales, which I think br- is absolutely incredible for, yeah. you know, uh, just a, you know, one particular style of wine. So pretty interesting. It's great for, for wine geeks and wine lovers or rosé lovers because there's so many, like you said, different styles, different grapes, different regions hitting the market every year. And you have unlimited selection every year, it seems. Mm-hmm. And I think that the cool thing about it too is that, yes, there are all of those interesting new ones for people who are wine geeks to explore. And they've got different countries and different styles and yada, yada. But it's also extremely approachable for the wine novice as well. If you've had a couple of different bottles of rosé, maybe you had a glass at a restaurant, maybe you went over a friend's house and you had a glass and you really liked it, there's so much out there that it's so easy to just put your hands on a bottle and have it just be completely enjoyable, even if you don't know the first thing about that bottle of wine. So that's one of the things that I really like about this style is that there's something for everybody and you don't have to know a whole lot about it. You don't need to know about wine blends. You don't need to necessarily know about wine regions. And sometimes the color doesn't even really matter. You know, some of those dark ones might have a lighter, you know, more floral fruity flavor. And some of the lighter ones might pack more of a savory, earthy punch. So there's just really, there's something out there for everyone. If you know that you've had a couple of rosés and you've liked them, then it's very, very easy, I feel, to experiment and just pick up a bottle off the shelf and be like, all right, let me try this one. Because chances are you'll probably like it. So how do you want to handle the list that they came up with, Kim? Do you want to go through each one? Do you want to just talk about I didn't, highlights? I didn't them? write them down. I just wrote down notes. So I didn't make a list of what the wines were. Okay. Well, so I could look them up and then no, have them I mean, on my screen. 
I think it's I, I, what I was thinking is more like, just, let's just, you know, tell the listeners here what of the 10, maybe where they're from, what the grapes were and price range type of thing. So they can kind of kind of get an idea of yeah. what's popular. Yeah, I think we should be specific. Way. I just, I, I don't have it written down on my sheet, but I can, do you want me to look it up? Cause I can just have no, it. No, me. no. I mean, I, I think there's some brands people probably re- recognize, but there are others that are not very popular. I mean, yeah. Mat- Matus was on there from <laughs> Portugal <laughs> and that was the least expensive yeah. rosé on the list and i i must i think not too long ago i i tried the matus line which has been around for years oh gosh forever and it still tastes really good and, i bet i bet i would $6. like it it's a little sweet right a little i mean not it's not bone dry but it's not sweet sweet yeah. either so but i mean it always had that interesting bottle yeah uh, the kind of fatter bottle so that was the least expensive so to give our listeners an idea it the, the list of the 10 most popular it was a six dollar range up to a hundred and eight dollars a bottle now i don't know about you kim but i don't see any popularity in rosés above say thirty dollars never mind a hundred and eight dollars a bottle I personally have never seen a bottle of rosé over $100, unless it's rosé champagne, which is a different animal all in and of itself. But I would say probably the most expensive one I've seen maybe was 50. Now, it was a Spanish rosé from Rioja, and it was a Reserva. So, I mean, it has some aging on it, which is interesting. But I don't think I've had a Reserva-level aged wine. I mean, it may be two years old. Rosé, mm-hmm. we, we did a whole segment in the past on one, two-year-old vintage rosé sometimes still tastes very fresh. Sure. But uh, I thought the, that was interesting at $108 a bottle. So this Spanish one, this was the Lopez Heredia. Correct. So that is a wine house that is known for its more traditional styles of Rioja. And they really pride themselves on aging their wines at the winery and then not releasing them until they feel that they are at the perfect point of drinking. They hold back their white wines for like 12 years. So <laughs> their style, they've got a very, very specific viewpoint when it comes to what a wine should taste like. And their viewpoint is that aged wine is the way to go. So I'm absolutely not surprised that they are doing this with their rosé in addition to their whites and their reds. And I don't, I don't think they make a lot of wine either. And they're considered one of the top producers in Spain. So they probably feel like they only make a limited amount of the rosé and it probably sells out every year so they can they can command that kind of price yeah it'd be interesting to see to to google it to see the color what color this is when i'm it willing comes to out. hazard a guess that it's brownish yeah that's what i'm thinking <laughs> yeah a shade that if you put it up against all the other rosés people would be probably freaked out about it probably probably so that's our most expensive rosé on the list our least expensive rosé on the list was six dollars you said yep matus was the, matus. the least expensive and then there was some probably one on this list that everybody's heard of and that's whispering angel mm-hmm. and Every year, it seems to be one of the most popular rosés people tend to go go for from Provence. Any thoughts with uh, Whispering Angel? Have you? So I think that this is a prime example of really, really good marketing when it comes to wine. Because if you think about it, a lot of the way that we, especially as Americans, buy wine is we buy based on the grape variety. And rosé has really broken that mold for us. You know, the, the, what the grape is in the bottle matters so much less than what people are looking for as far as flavor and honestly branding. I feel like with a brand like Whispering Angel, they have really done such a good job 
marketing to the public that people recognize the brand over every, anything else. And they associate it with good quality. They associate it with a crisp, light, refreshing style of rosé. Um, and they've done a fantastic job getting in front of the market and really running away with, I think, the American audience when it comes to this lighter style of rosé. Yeah. And they just they keep increasing production every year and maintaining the same, usually $20 range for, for a price point. So, I mean, good now, job is, for them. Is the Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie one? That one is, I believe that is not theirs. Theirs is uh, Miraval, no? Miraval is it. Yeah, Chateau okay. Miraval is uh, Brad Pitt and what's his wife's name? Jolie. Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, when they separated, there was some talk they got rid of that vineyard, but I don't know, but that's still also in the same price point as mm -hmm. Whispering Angel, which is probably a marketing thing on their point, part that to make it similar sure. price point. So that that was on the list. And, and they are seven, similar wines. They are very similar yeah. style, you know, side by side. Region, they would taste very similar. Yep. Similar grape. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinlickers.com. If you'd like to ask us a question or follow us on Facebook, you can find us at The Wonderful World of Wine. So today we're talking about rosés, and there was an article in Vine Pair for 10 most popular rosés, and we're kind of hitting rosé topics and talking about a few individual things on the list. We talked the, the list uh, price of these is $6 up to $108. And Kim, one of the things I noticed that seven of the 10 on the list are French. We talked about Matus uh, from Portugal. I believe there's an Italian on here. What other, what were the other ones? There's one, there's one other country then if there's seven out of 10. Spain we had, for the Lopez Meridian. Oh yeah, Spain. Yeah, yep. the high end one. So yep. seven out of 10 French. Uh, and do you think that is uh, typical of the, the rosé world when you're looking at it? That Absolutely. Yeah, yep. 70% totally of the shelf. Think, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is really the homeland of this style of wine. They've literally been making rosé in Southern France since the Romans were there. So it's like... 2,500 years ago, they were making rosé. So this, this part of the world is where we really see the beginnings of this style. And, and of course, it is spreading to other places. But if we look at how long rosé has been popular in America, this has really only been a trending thing for the last five to 10 years. I mean, a little bit longer for people who follow these sorts of things. And of course, we had our white Zinfandel boom in the 1980s. But this is, you know, this is different. This is that dry style. If you close your eyes, sometimes you can convince yourself that you're drinking a white wine. And they've been um, consuming these, these wines in France for a very, very long time. And it's not a new thing over there. It's relatively new for us here. But we're still seeing that the most popular uh, brands and, and, you know, quantity of these, of these wines is coming from southern France. That's not to say that there aren't excellent ones from other parts of the world and that they haven't been making rosé wine in other places, but France is really where we're still seeing a lot of uh, a lot of the originals and still a lot of the production. Yeah, and you mentioned about the, the Brad Pitt celebrity rosé. What's your thoughts on celebrities marketing rosé or wines in general? Because I don't know if you saw, there's a new rosé coming out with Post Malone is releasing one this summer. <laughs> But he's partnered with, I think it's Gallo, 
Okay. But it's going to be a French rosé in that $20 price point, celebrity backed, but also big corporation backed. So any thoughts on... I mean, this is not particular to rosé. There are a lot of wine brands out there that have either, you know, singers or sports stars or other famous people associated with them. And it's not just wine, you know, it's liquor too. We, We certainly see that branding and advertising from from lots and lots of famous people so i don't think that this is a a new thing um you know it's not necessarily that these people are wine experts and are tasting samples and are deciding you know making the big decisions as far as what the wine tastes like but it's lending their their names and their celebrity and their probably some of their dollars to a brand and it's a you know it's a it's a marketing twist i would say but not unusual when you look at the grand scheme of marketing, you know, famous people sell all sorts of stuff and it's not just, not just unique to to our industry. Yeah. I always think it's interesting how people follow either a show or a celebrity and then whatever they put out, they have to get it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. You know, they might not be rosé drinkers, but then are they going to try this rosé because of who's behind it? And it all kind of leads up to initially, I wanted to ask you, Kim, when you're a wine shopper, not a wine uh, like buying for for the restaurant, but you're a shopper. You go on, you looking at the shelves, and you, what attracts you to a rosé? Is it the color? Is it the is it the grape? Is it the price point? What's the first thing? Because I I always find it interesting when I see people. You know, they'll ask you have rosé and what they make a selection by. Mm. You know, and it seems to me it's more it's more price point than regional grape. And I think that that is, you know, typical for a lot of people, but maybe, I mean, obviously the the first thing that they've done as a shopper is they've decided upon a category. So just like someone would come in and say, I'm looking for a Chardonnay. They're saying, I'm looking for a rosé. So Chardonnay is a category. Sparkling wine is a category. Rosé is a category. So that is already their first determinant factor. They're, they haven't just come in and say, oh, I want a bottle of wine. And then you lead them to the rosé section. And they're like, oh, you know, maybe a rosé is a good idea. They've already decided that they're looking for rosé. So I think it's interesting that it's not broken down by grape, like you said. It's rosé has become kind of its own thing and grape variety really doesn't matter as much. I'm curious when I go into a wine shop and there are single varietal rosés, I might be like, oh, you know, I like that grape variety. Maybe I'll try that in a rosé. But I think you're probably right that most people, once they've determined what category they're looking for, then they'll go by price. And I, I guess I kind of do the same thing too, because I have a general price point that I like to stick to, and I'm fairly comfortable getting a rosé anywhere within that price point. So whether it's like, oh, I'm going to try this $9 rosé, or hey, maybe I'll splurge for the $19.99 bottle of rosé. So I think price is still very important for people. But- yeah, you, you, I mean, you sound like me when you're you're looking you you have a, a rosé in mind you have a price range in mind and then hey this is uh whatever this is a montepulciano rosé 100% montepulciano i've never had that i'll, I'll try that mm-hmm. right i mean it's like i don't look at the the color but as a as a retailer i like to have a range of locations a range of grapes a range of colors yep. and a in a price point but i don't go above say $30 cuz i mm-hmm. i just don't feel that category is popular yeah in the rosé world. Yeah, it's like, it's interesting. It's like rosé hasn't quite busted through that fine wine ceiling yet. You know, people wouldn't blink an eye at a $50 bottle of Cabernet on the shelf, but a $50 bottle of rosé, be like, what, right. 
world is that? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Do you think that is because when you think of rosé, it's like, I'm not putting this down. I have to drink it right away. So I'm not drinking a $50 bottle tonight. You know, I'm looking for a rosé. Yeah. I'm not going to buy I think that might this. be part of it. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's also this sort of social, cultural feeling about rosé that it is that it is a little less serious. It's something to crack open on a nice warm evening or you know it's a Saturday afternoon and you're relaxing with your girlfriends and you know you want to have something bright and refreshing and delicious so you know a lot of rosé doesn't have that seriousness and I feel like seriousness with wine translates into higher price tag with wine. Yeah, interesting. Rosé, I don't think that has really busted through with the seriousness yet. And like you're saying, a casual, just easy drinking thing. Mm -hmm. I've never really, I'm trying to think back, but I don't think I've ever had a customer come in and say, I'm having this dish. I'm looking for a rosé to go with it. It's more like, I just want a rosé. I want, you know, I'm I'm sitting on the deck. I'm sitting by the pool. I want a nice rosé, something to quench my thirst, not as a food pairing item. So you think, does that hurt the rosé reputation because it's not considered a food maybe although it is such a fantastic wine with food like there are so many wonderful dishes that rosé is really really good with i can think of like three right off the top of my head shrimp shrimp scampi and rosé people do shrimp scampi go into mark's store and say i'm making shrimp scampi for dinner i need a nice bottle of rosé so what what's so good about that pairing kept the garlic garlic and rosé are amazing together but it has to be a light crisp style of rosé so that more Provençal style so think like southern friend fish soup vegetables garlic shrimp anything pink goes with pink so i like rosé with shrimp and i like rosé with salmon that's a good tip Mm. What about what about this, Kim? When when people are shopping for rosé, most of the time, I think what's happening now, and I'm seeing, is the the white zin, the sweet moscatos, the pink moscatos. People are associating there's a little sweetness to rosé. So I kind of scare people. I think when they say I'm looking for rosé, I say, well, these are all dry. These are sweet. And then when I say sweet, I'm pointing them into the the white Zin, white Merlot, mm-hmm. white, you know, Moscatos, the pink Moscatos. Do you think it's a misunderstanding on wine consumers that they should be dry? Um, I think that this is a hurdle that we are slowly but surely getting over. And I think that restaurants have actually done quite a good job of getting their customers comfortable with the idea that rosé, it can be and often is a dry style of wine. I know that we do that in our restaurants. And when we eliminated whites and Fidel from all of the wine lists a couple of years ago, it was a big transition for a lot of, of consumers because a lot of people associate the color pink with some sweetness in the sweetness, wine. Yeah. And this, this is something that is, you know, probably honestly going to take a generation to get, to get over because a lot of people who came of age when White Zinfandel was big. So if you turn 20 in 1980 and you have been drinking wine since then, and your first exposure to pink wine was that it was sweet, you're probably going to always carry a little bit of that in the back of your mind. So it, you know, it is taking us some time as wine educators and as wine professionals and people who work in this every day to educate the public that pink wine doesn't necessarily have to be sweet. And I think it's just a, a gut reaction on the part of a lot of people that they see that color and they automatically associate it with something fruity and light and sugary. So this is, you know, it's a slow process, 
but as I think younger wine drinkers come of age and come into learning about wine, they don't have that already in the back of their head. So it's one of these things that, that we're working on and I feel like it's better. Like I know a lot more people when I talk to them are less concerned that it's going to be sweet, but I still see, I still see that with people who are, I'd say just over the age of 35, everybody, you know, is a little bit concerned that so the rosé is going to be a little bit sweet. What's your recommendation when a, when a customer comes in the restaurant, you don't have whites in on the list, but they want something pink that has some sweetness to it? Honestly, we don't really have anything. Nothing at all. There's no, 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 no. So I coach our employees that we, um, and we, I have them talk a little bit about fruity versus versus sugary. Um, and we try not to say sweet because that can be a little scary for, for people, um, unless they bring it up first. And if, if a guest says, you know, oh, I'm looking for a sweet wine, um, and we don't have white vanilla and they're used to that, there are alternatives. There's lovely Bouvray's, we've got some great Rieslings. So there are alternatives out there that I think really fit the flavor profile that people are looking for if they're white Zinfandel drinkers. Would you lean them towards a sangria type fruity, yeah, maybe totally. a little sweetness? Yeah, yep, yep. that's that's kind of where I go with it. Mm-hmm. If, if they're, uh, they, they hear dry and I kind of turn them either towards, you know, something, I'll ask them, do you want more fruit? You know, if, instead of saying sweetness, like you said, because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people perceive that fruit as a, a sweeter. And sangria wine. can be fun too, because, you know, you can change up the recipes and and we change our cocktails a couple times a year and there's always like a seasonal sangria which is like super fun because then it's like oh this is more of like a winter sangria and this is more of a spring sangria so it i i personally love sangria because you could mix and match and you can change yeah. things up and, and, and I it's wish, always delicious things like i that. wish people would use rosés more in, in a or you know a traditional rosé in, in a sangria i i always like like watermelon mm. flavor fruits in rosé and no one really pushes it I, I don't feel I, I did hear of a restaurant one time that had a great got a great deal on some rosé and they were making a special rosé sangria you know because they had so much of it but very rare to hear it that way I would and totally do that the other thing I wanted to ask you Kim was about rosé as far as brand have you noticed there's been say uh, ciders market they're saying rosé cider they're saying rosé seltzers there's rosé gin there's rosé vodka mm-hmm. do you think all of this is marketing they know the rosé trend is up so they're just attaching i, I almost i do yeah relate it to the like, salsa thing going on now everything's yeah. a salsa everything's rosé this mm-hmm. but do you think that's hurting those provence rosés or the rosé market or it's bringing more attention no i don't think i don't think it's hurting it um but i don't necessarily know that marketing a you know a polar seltzer as rosé something is necessarily working no i think that there's so much i, I feel like rosé cider didn't really go anywhere I, I think it's a clever addition to to these companies portfolios but i don't know how much of their sales are being driven by the fact that it's rosé and people are like oh i like rosé i mean maybe maybe a fair bit i mean it is it is trendy and there are people who you know, absolutely love the style so that then want to try it. But I, I definitely don't think it's it's hurting traditional yeah, wine. I think a lot of it have all these other things named after rosé. A lot of it to me is making people re- relate to more sweet when I, I mm. wish they think when they think rosé, they think dry, dry. you know, because yeah. it's traditional. But I think when you're talking cider, you're talking gin, you're talking vodka, you're thinking flavorings and, and, and the color I'm looking the at, color, I'm thinking sweetness. Yeah. I'm not thinking dry. So right. the fruitiness and the color and all that. You've been drinking any rosés this uh, spring, what summer? Have, what have we been drinking? 
Um, Any favorite regions you go to for rosé? So I, like I said before, I like Argentina. I like rosés uh, made Malbec, from Malbec. Malbec rosé. Yeah. Um, believe Didn't it or not, try... there are some dry rosé Zinfandels from California. So yeah, yeah. not like the white Zinfandel style, but like a, a true dry rosé style from California made from the Zinfandel grape. Um, Pedro and Shelly makes a really nice one. And they're a little darker in color but bone dry and has lots of like berry fruit flavor, which I personally really, really love. So I, I look out for those. I actually like Italian ones too. So Sangiovese based ones I really like. And then I'm quite partial to really anything from the Loire Valley in France. So if I see a Loire Rosé, I will uh, scoop that up and it might be Pinot Noir and it might be Cabernet Franc, but I'm, uh, I'm particularly fond of, of that area of the world. So I try to try a bunch of different things. From yeah, we like similar things. I th- I tend yeah, to go with the little like. darker style roses just mm-hmm. because I, I feel it will always have a little darker fruit instead of those light red fruits yeah. or or like the Provence to me is it's very, very light berry, you yeah. know, strawberry, raspberry, where like a Montepulciano or like you said, a Malbec is more of a darker red berry. If, if and see, I sense. would I would prefer those for sipping on their own, those darker ones with a little bit more oomph. Yeah, but yeah. if I'm going to pair it with, like I said, that shrimp scampi, I am absolutely going to something from Provence. That light, bright, higher acid, really crisp, refreshing, great with food cuts through the olive oil, cuts through the butter, cuts through the garlic. It's just, just wonderful. So I think a a good tip for our listeners, if they're listening to this and they're like, yeah, you know, that dry style sounds really good. I'm always afraid when I pick up a bottle of pink wine that it's going to be sweet. If you want to make sure that you're not getting any sweetness whatsoever in your rosé, the best thing to start with is something from Southern France. So get a bottle of wine that says Provence or Aix-en-Provence, anything that says Provence on it. Um, you can be guaranteed that there isn't any sugar in that wine. So it's a great place to start on your rosé journey. Great advice. Now I don't know if I'm hungry or thirsty. <laughs> I'm hungry and thirsty. Yeah, both. for listening to the wonderful world of wine we have been your hosts kim simone and mark Lindsay. you can find us on facebook at the wonderful world of wine and we always welcome your questions and your comments and for back episodes you can find us on soundcloud and itunes cheers <laughs>